Welcome, podcast friends. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Last year, we published The Best Investment Writing, Volume 4. We offered authors the opportunity to record an audio version of their chapter to be released as a segment of the podcast, and listeners loved it. This year, we're once again bringing you the entire volume of The Best Investment Writing, Volume 5, in podcast format. You'll hear from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers from all over the world. Enough from me. Let's get to our guest and let them take over this special episode. Hello, this is Peter Cipinelli, portfolio strategist on the asset allocation team of GMO. GMO is an institutional money manager founded in 1977 by, amongst others, Jeremy Grantham. To learn more about our firm, check us out at gmo.com. Today, I'll be reading a piece entitled The Passive Aggressive Ag. Passive investing in bonds today turns prudence on its head. It is well understood among investors that there have been massive flows out of active equity funds into passive vehicles, such as index funds and ETFs. What has not been as widely appreciated is that the same thing is happening in fixed income. Nearly 40% of all core bond funds today are passively managed, up from 16% only 10 years ago. One index in particular is vacuuming up these assets, the Bloomberg Barclays U.S. Aggregate Index, commonly known as the AG. We think this massive movement to the AG is ill-timed and is turning the very concept of prudence on its head because the index suffers from the following problems. First, its construction is fundamentally flawed. Next, it suffers from deteriorating corporate credit quality at a concerning point in the market cycle. It has been extending duration, i.e. increasing interest rate risk, at some of the lowest yields in U.S. history. It offers some of the lowest expected returns in its history. It hovers close to 0% in real yields. And finally, it is one of the worst performing strategies in bond management universes in the last 1, 3, 5, 7, and 10 years. We first wrote about our ag-related concerns back in 2017. But with interest rates dipping back towards historically low levels, we wanted to revisit and expand on our concerns, especially given that flows into passive have accelerated recently. We also wanted to offer some concrete suggestions for what we believe is a better approach to fixed income investing. So the first problem is the age-old bums problem. It is well understood among fixed income managers that bond indices suffer from a flawed construction. Lawrence Siegel, formerly director of research at the Ford Foundation, named this flaw the bums problem. It aptly points out that a cap-weighted index for bonds is, by design, loading up on the most indebted issuers within its universe. Please note that cap-weighting makes sense in equities, but it makes no sense in bonds. This means that an index is at great risk of rotating into the wrong sectors, just as these issuers are the most vulnerable. For example, in the late 90s, the AG dramatically increased its exposure to technology and telecom bonds just in time for the tech bubble bursting. From there, it loaded up on bank credit right before the great financial crisis, the GFC. Finally, as shown in the exhibit, in 2014, the AG dramatically increased exposure to capital-intensive energy companies just before oil prices suffered a historic collapse. Remember, it behaves this way by design. Today, the index has a different problem, as it has been shifting exposure to lower-rated 
triple B rated debt, resulting in a secular deterioration of corporate credit quality across all sectors of the ag. Prior to the GFC, the corporate component held roughly 32% in triple B bonds. Today, that number has risen to an eye-popping 50%. Importantly, at the same time that corporate credit is going up, compensation for taking that risk is going down. Prior to the GFC, the typical spread between AAA and B rated bonds hovered around 200 basis points. Over the last 10 years, that number dropped to roughly 150 basis points. And in just the last two years, with spreads tightening further, it is now solidly below 100 basis points. As the worldwide hunt for yield continues, the credit sector of the ag is taking on significantly more risk, yet paying investors less for doing so. This strikes us as the very definition of imprudence. The sheer amount of corporate debt issuance is historic. However, looking at that statistic in isolation is an incomplete assessment. Instead, the focus should be on the ability to service that debt. Yet when we take a look at an important measure of that ability, debt to EBITDA of investment-grade issuers, the story is sobering. The cycle of debt to EBITDA typically follows a logical pattern. During economic recoveries, as earnings, the denominator, increase and outpace debt, the ratio typically moves downward. After the recession of 1990 to 91, for example, the economy and corporate earnings started to improve, and the debt to EBITDA ratio dropped materially. Then in the 2000 recession, as earnings collapsed and debt, the numerator, became large relative to earnings, the ratio spiked. This logical pattern repeated in the 2008 recession. However, today, something strange is going on. As expected, the ratio started to improve in the 2010 post-GFC recovery. In the past few years, however, it has been rising markedly before any recession. This is odd. Debt is far outpacing earnings today, ominously raising the question as to what will happen to this ratio already at extremes when the next recession eventually hits. We're going to change gears now and talk about the problem with duration. Because there are three forces driving out duration of the ag. The first is the cruel bond math of lower yields and coupons. Without doing a rehash of intricate bond math, duration is an important calculation of bond risk. At its root, duration measures the sensitivity of a bond's price to a shift in interest rates. For example, a bond or a bond portfolio with a duration of five years means that for every 1% shift upwards in interest rates, there is a 5% drop in the price of the bond. All else being equal, the lower the yield, the higher the duration and vice versa. The longer the maturity, the higher the duration and vice versa. That's just how the math of bond risk works. As shown in Exhibit 5, yields and coupons have been dropping steadily since the GFC and the introduction of quantitative easing by the Fed. Prior to 2008, the ag's yield was close to 6%, but more recently has been at or even below 2% significantly, increasing its duration. Corporate financing behavior driving up duration, force number two. CFOs of major corporations have seen interest rates trending lower and lower over the last 10 years. Money has become increasingly cheap. So CFOs have been behaving rationally in the face of cheap money by issuing as much debt as they can and locking it in for as long as the market will let them. The last few years go in the record books as having had the most issuance of corporate debt in American history and the longest maturity. Corporate America has been selling massive numbers of bonds. 
and the ag has been buying them. These lower yielding and longer maturity bonds have been finding their way into the ag because that's what passive instruments do. They buy bonds without any regard for price. Third force, the changing composition of the ag. The final problem is that the ag has dramatically changed its stripes since the GFC. See exhibit seven, which shows that 10 years ago, the largest sector by far of the ag was securitized loans. Examples would be asset-backed securities and mortgage-backed securities. Most of these types of securities have shorter maturities and duration. Today, longer dated treasuries are now the dominant sector of the ag, while securitized bonds have dropped off significantly. This again has shifted both the maturity and duration of the ag upward. The four forces combined mean that net-net, there's more risk at the worst possible time. For the last 10 years in particular, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury has been steadily decreasing. In September, just a few short months ago, it hit 1.47%, near the lowest yield ever recorded in U.S. history. As an important aside, rates in Europe were at seven-century lows. While it is entirely possible that rates could have gone lower, prudence dictated that this was a period to be reducing risk by either shortening duration or reducing bond exposure. What has the ag been up to these last few years? Just the opposite. Since the GFC, the ag has extended its duration by close to 70% at basically the lowest yields in American history. When any prudent investor would likely consider shortening duration, the ag did the exact opposite. Finally, let's talk about the performance of the ag. Choosing passive strategies is typically justified on a few fronts, but solid relative performance and low fees are frequently cited. For certain pockets of the equity markets, there is compelling evidence that passive strategies have done well on a relative basis. For example, active managers have historically had a difficult time adding alpha above the passive benchmark in U.S. large cap space. In Exhibit 9, we have plotted the rankings of the S&P 500 benchmark versus a universe of active managers. The passive S&P 500 index has performed quite respectably, ranking near the top third or top quarter over many timeframes. Meanwhile, the AG's performance relative to active bond managers is demonstrably poor. See Exhibit 10. In fact, over the last three, five, seven, and 10-year timeframes, the AG is ranked at or near the very bottom of a comparative universe. This is despite its low fees. What can fixed income investors do? Plenty. First, we do understand that many still need a bond portfolio that will be measured or benchmarked against the AG. The classic 60-40 balanced benchmark, in fact, uses the AG as the 40. Our advice then is to deviate from the benchmark as much as your policy, your risk budget, or your stomach allows. There are any number of ways to use that risk budget. Following is a list of things we are currently doing or have historically done in bond space. First, is underweight bonds in favor of cash or alternatives in a multi-asset class setting. The first thing we do is to own less than the benchmark weight to bonds in our multi-asset class strategies. At GMO, our flagship balance strategy as of December 31st, 2019, had an 800 basis point underweight to bonds. With a flattish yield curve and much more room for bond rates to rise rather than fall, we believe cash-like assets offer a superior risk-return trade-off. As of December, our benchmark free allocation strategy, for example, holds roughly 25% in liquid alternatives. Go out of benchmark. 
For those bond portfolios that have an explicit benchmarking to the ag and therefore cannot really deviate too much from its duration, we are spending our risk budget on out-of-benchmark credit sectors. The strategy is called GMO Core Plus, and its duration is roughly in line with the ag, but with a notable overweight to structured credit, i.e. asset backs, mortgage backs, commercial mortgage backs, etc. We are finding good relative value in this sector today. In addition, the risk-reward trade-off for emerging market debt is worthy of an allocation. Third thing you can do is alpha overlay. We employ an alpha overlay strategy run by our fixed income team that takes relative value positions in various sovereign bond markets and currency markets. This overlay is capital efficient in that it requires very little cash. The duration of this overlay, because it is taking long and short positions, hovers near zero. Finally, high tracking error. The overriding message is that investors should employ high tracking error to the ag. Given its flawed construction and poor compensation for risk, we want our portfolios to look as different as possible while still maintaining client objectives and guidelines. This approach has served our clients well. The exhibit below is the same as before, but it now it includes the ranking of the GMO Core Plus strategy. It has been able to add 196 basis points of value over the ag over the last 10 years and has done so by doing many of the things that we just referenced. In conclusion, the passive ag is turning prudence on its head. It seems odd to say that a passive index is making decisions, but that is exactly the point. The ag's passive nature means it can fall victim to organic forces driving change. That is, it acts by not acting. The result is a portfolio today that has turned prudence on its head. Its corporate sector has experienced a credit deterioration at a concerning point in the credit cycle, and it has been extending duration at some of the lowest yields in U.S. history. With real yields hovering around 0%, it is offering one of the lowest expected returns in its history. While it is true it is a low-cost option, any investor in the passive ag would have suffered a costly give-up in return over the last 10 years relative to active management. Because the passive ag has organically become more aggressive over the last 10 years with little expected reward, prudence dictates a more active approach today. <music>